0: Hello, I'm Layla. And I'm Leah. And welcome to Breast Cancer Unleashed. Everything you need to know about breast cancer, but are too embarrassed to ask, where we unleash about ridiculous, hard to share subjects with top experts, where nothing is out of bounds and every topic is appropriate.
1: Leah, today we are talking about effects of breast cancer... On our partners. Mm. You and I are both in heterosexual relationships and God bless these men to see your (laughs) wife go through what she's going through. Before we jumped on, I was talking about my disgusting toenails that I had during chemotherapy.
0: What the fuck did the chemo do to your toes?
1: (laughs) I don't know. I don't know how you didn't have like most of this. I have had every freaking side. I had every side effect that you can possibly have with chemotherapy and radiation and even starting tamoxifen. Like
0: you, I feel like, how did this happen to me? And like, Leah, like Leah didn't even lose a toenail. I lost all my nails. (laughs) Yeah. Well, when I lost my eyebrows and my sideburns, because listen, I'm Greek. You're Syrian. God gifted us, unfortunately, with an abundance of facial and body hair that we just don't need. But when I lost that, I suddenly looked sick, and I just felt ugly. And you know, I always go back. Who wants to screw a lady with no eyebrows? Like that's that's scary. And I don't know how to draw them on. I remember at one point during my journey, and it's oftentimes blurs, but I had an infection. I had a right side nipple sparing mastectomy. And I had an expander in there until I was done with radiation and could have full reconstruction. And at one point it became infected and I had to have a washout. And when they washed it out, they literally took the expander out and they washed. I was in the hospital for three days, but it shriveled up my breast. It was the ugliest thing. And yes, I have a photo of it, but imagine all your skin being shriveled up and now just flat, like my nipple disappeared. And then imagine wanting to have sex with that. Or- looking at your, my husband looking at me and saying, and I'm like, are you serious? Like, do you, this is just gross. So how can we overcome that? We're going to look different and we're going to feel different. How can we try to overcome that with our partner so that we can still keep that quote unquote, healthy marriage, healthy partnership, healthy, whatever it is, as we get through these times.
1: Okay. I love you so much, but I'm a little bit nauseated hearing that story. Now I am officially thankful and grateful for having all of the side effects and not having to experience any sort of infection or anything like that. So thank you for sharing that with me. I don't think I knew that, but now I'm going to embrace <laughs> the loss of the toenails, the chemo conjunctivitis, all of the things, the continued vertigo, all of that good stuff. But yeah, let's jump into um, the importance of intimacy and in the parks perspective and what we can do in survivorship when we are in a uh, partnered relationships. So joining us today, we are thrilled, is Tracy Owens. She is a registered nurse and certified sex counselor, and she and her husband, Michael, actually established Intimate Pathways Center for Sexual Health, which is a private practice in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, offering a unique and safe environment where adults can find comfort and support to address anything related to partnered sexuality. Tracy, first of all, thank you for joining us. We are really excited to be here with you. You are a ton of fun. And not only do you bring an incredible perspective around partnership and sexuality, but also you're just fun. We just enjoy you. And so thank you so much for being here. Well, you know,
2: I will take every opportunity I can to give a voice to something that is so socially stigmatized, but yet impacts every single solitary one of our lives, right? Like there's no place I go where people don't, when I tell them what I do, that they don't want to lean in for some more conversation because where do we find those people in life that are sex nurses, right? Like how many are there? Not many.
1: For sure. So one of the things that we've been talking about is sexuality from the perspective of sort of the the patient and, and talking a lot about survivorship as well, but we don't want to leave out the partners, right? Like that's one huge thing. And we feel so sorry, not just for ourselves, but also for them when it comes to sexuality,
2: well, absolutely we do. And you know, at the beginning of a cancer journey, from that moment that you hear you have breast cancer or whatever, fill in the blank of whatever words, whichever type of cancer that may be, you have cancer it is a mind-blowing, hard moment for every couple. And what I always want couples to understand that if you're in a committed relationship, the moment one of you is diagnosed with a cancer both of you have been diagnosed with that same cancer, you're just gonna have a different role in the battle as it comes ahead. In our committed relationships, the, one of the nuances is that if our partner is a male, men are kind of socialized in our world to be the fixers of things, right? To have control, to have a plan. And suddenly they're thrust into some really uncomfortable places because they can't fix this. I think the most powerful thing that can happen is when we start these conversations at the beginning of a diagnosis is help that partner understand what they can do, how they can lean in, the power they still have in their life because it is that loss of power that most of us struggle with at the very beginning.
0: I remember my husband commenting that there are two times in his life when he felt completely helpless and there was nothing he could do. The one was childbirth. (laughs) Obviously he was responsible. He got me there, but being in the hospital and watching the pain Mm -hmm. and suffering that I was experiencing leading up to the birth of my children. That's a moment when he said, there's there's nothing you can do. You're part of how she got there and there's nothing you can do. And then the other part was watching me go through the cancer journey through chemo, through surgery, through recovery, that was always, it's hard. There's nothing they can do. They can, I shouldn't say that. They can give support and so many other things, but they felt helpless.
2: They felt helpless. So we can empower them by giving them. I love to give partners a list of things to do because it gives them a focus, right? Like I'll tell them we're going to be renegotiating our roles, our responsibilities, our day-to-day life. As we move through this, so here are some of the things that you can step into, which is also a permission giving because I'm going to start having them create a list right of their resources, who are the, who are the people you can lean into for different activities and what are the priorities that we have to negotiate so if we have kids we have to negotiate how we're going to manage kids, there's going to be a lot of appointments right. I mean, a lot that you know of, and then a whole lot that come up. Otherwise, who can help with transportation? So it's about identifying who can be on our team. And the interesting thing that I hear from a lot of couples is that the people they thought would be on their team were not necessarily the people who showed up on their team and people they weren't expecting were the ones who stepped in, right? To this storm that they're living in. But there are always people who want to live, lean into our storm with us, but we live in this world where we're like, oh no, I'm fine. I got it. Right. We don't want to impose. We don't want to distress. We, you know, all the things we tell ourselves that really have to kind of be put away that pride, that's all, you know, kind of an ego and a pride thing. And we need to put that away because also letting people lean into it with us allows them to be part of our journey. And that's a blessing to them as well.
1: That was a huge realization for me, you know, being able to say, oh, wow, thank you. Yes, I will take that help. Yes, I will. Yes, please send a housekeeper over, you know, all of those things. That was a huge lesson for me in receiving, you know, going through my treatments. One thing that was really shocking to me and and Tracy, I would love for you to speak to this is, and I'm talking about heterosexual couples right now, but I'm sure this probably happens in all, you know, partnered uh, relationships, but my acupuncturist one time, I was telling her how difficult it was for my husband. He was like, it was like hard for him to see me the way that I looked with no hair, no eyebrows. Like, you know, I, I joke constantly that he said that I looked like powder from that movie. He's like, my wife looks like powder. And he felt like what Leah said, like sort of helpless in this. But my acupuncturist actually told me, she was like, you would be shocked to learn how many men actually leave the marriages during breast cancer treatment. That was shocking for me to hear. And I feel so empathetic towards any person, woman, you know, who is experiencing any kind of separation in their marriage because the partner is having such difficulty. Can you speak to that?
2: Well, all the problems that we had in our relationship that existed before the breast cancer diagnosis, somehow we'll get a little bit more spotlight put on them because we're in weaker states. We're more vulnerable. We're not as busy out doing all the other things that kind of distract us from the things happening in the house. We're more reliant upon that person. And some folks just can't take that role, right? Like they're not caregivers and stepping into that seems so uncomfortable that leaving is a a better option for them. So we know in our oncology world, which is really one of the main reasons why I felt so called into this, as I walked with the journey as a care manager with patients and their partners, um, I came to see just this tremendous burden that they both are carrying and one of two things happen. We either lean into each other, into the mess together and find our way, or it can be very distancing and isolating for a couple. My firm belief is that what if we started having these conversations up front? If we started doing short preparatory for what's just what's just on the horizon and we start talking about Common things that happen just on this next horizon, and then on this next horizon, you know, because as you both know, there's many horizons that you go through on that journey, right? You're you, it's a stepwise thing, and a lot of couples just can't lean into that. When I started, when I moved into sexual health, it was because of that calling. I firmly believe that we can help relationships stay intact. If we help guide them through this really unprecedented, no map to give us a direction kind of thing.
0: so What are some tips you can offer as we speak about this sexual health with committed couples? You know, just some practical tips that they can start applying or thinking about as they go through this journey. So I think first, just making
2: a safe space to feel what we're feeling you know, a lot of times the caregiver doesn't feel like they can show their emotions because they got to be strong. They got to be the cheerleader. They've got to kind of get sometimes into this relentless positivity. Like we don't allow any negative thoughts or any negative discussion or any negative emotions. And really that's just going to bite us on the booty later when we keep trying to shove those down. So I tell couples to really make sure that they prioritize some space just together where they can give each other permission to feel what we're feeling, validate what we're feeling, and then figure out together how we can offload some of that negative emotion. And sometimes that means we need to get some outside support, right? Like sometimes when the storm is just blazing all around us, we actually need a guide to kind of help us move through that storm. So I think if you kind of start leaning in, and you notice from the beginning, we're having struggles leaning into each other and having problem solving conversations, because we're so overwhelmed with emotion, then reach for some help from somebody, whether that's inside your cancer center, or whether it's outside of your cancer center. I think also really trying to renegotiate what are our priorities right now. And we can't have 50 priorities, right? We've got to really be willing to scratch some stuff off our list because most of us walk in, I don't know about you ladies, but I walk in with 50 things on my list every day. And when you're going through a cancer battle, you will not have the emotional and physical ability to maintain a 50 point list. So a three point list, right? Our three priorities today. So I'll encourage couples have a first thing in the morning touch base, what I need from you today, what I want from you today, what has to happen today. And then I always encourage couples to have a close down at the end of the day. How are you? How did we get through this? Can I hold you right? So that we're starting our day together with a plan And we're ending our day, closing that out as a couple, because that communication will help us move through really hard, unusual, unknown, scary times. And if we don't stay connected that way, then you see that drift beginning to happen in in
1: relationship. That was one of the things I was going to ask, right? Like having a plan and having these negotiations ahead of time, getting on the same page when you're not on the same page, that can definitely impact intimacy and desire and, yeah. and all of these things.
2: You know, I usually will tell people, cause it's, it's interesting. A lot of folks, when they first would meet with me as new patients, they're like, Oh, sex is the last thing on my mind. And I'm like, well, it, of course it is right for you, but it may not be for your partner because what if sex was one of our stress relievers? What if sex was one of our makeup methods, you know, sex has covered a multitude of of hardship for couples. And so now they're in this different place. And so this is where we have to really look at all the realms of intimacy, all the ways of being connected to each other and maintaining physical connection, even though it might need to look different for a while. And really kind of level setting those expectations is really important for couples up front. Because most of us in our marriages don't really have really great ongoing sexual conversations with our mate. Like if everything's working well, it just works well and we don't need to talk about it. So then if things start changing, whether it be desire or changes in the body or my body image, or all the things that can happen on the journey for breast cancer, they can really just take over too much power in our lives. If we, if we don't go ahead and start negotiating those things now, So if their habit has been that they they're sexual, you know, three or four times a week and suddenly they're not sexual, you know, that can hold a big burden for that partner. And maybe the person going through treatment isn't in a sexual space, but the other partner, but the The non-cancer partner is in a sexual space. How do we help that couple negotiate meeting both of their needs in those moments? And that's a very delicate conversation, depending upon what's going on and what
0: kind of habits that couple had before. Yeah. So I'm thinking, let's kick this up a notch and let's get a little bit juicy here talking about the sexual experience. The premise of our podcast is always that we're going to address these hard to, to discuss conversations in a raw fashion. So thinking about that, we've covered a lot of the communication aspect. I like how you said, you know, setting the priorities in the morning, the afternoon, and then kind of regroup, narrowing down what our priorities are to maybe just three goals a day. But so once we have that and we're kind of rolling with that, how do we incorporate that sexual healing with our partners? Especially if you said they're used to three to four times a week, I mean, dear heavens, I don't I don't want to do it (laughs) three or four times a month. I mean three (laughs) times a week. Uh, Are you kidding me? Yeah. So so we have to
2: renegotiate. And you know, in our world, ladies, since we're gonna get in it, in our world, we when we say intimacy, it means one thing to a typical female and it means a little bit something different to the typical male, right? So really understanding what intimacy means to us is kind of important. And most folks have never talked, you know, really thought about intimacy. And I think about it from emotional, physical, sexual, experiential, spiritual, financial, all those are areas of intimacy in our life that we don't usually put voice to, but we sometimes have to renegotiate the physical, right? Like hot flashes. So, my husband and I are hardcore snugglers, right? We've always been snugglers. My husband's, you know, six, two big fireman guy. When I'm having hot flashes, that man cannot be over me. (laughs) You know, (laughs) (laughs) so I understood. And then if we're having surgeries, I've haven't had breast surgery, but I've had a lot of abdominal surgeries and that impacts how I position myself in a snuggle. So usually what I'll say is for the the non-cancer or the non-health struggling person to get comfortable and then allow me as the hot flasher, or I've had belly surgery or breast surgery or whatever, let me come in and find my position around you to snuggle so that I'm more on top and have more freedom of movement. And that's different for couples, right? That was an evolution for my husband and I, because cuddling was important. So we had to figure out a new way to do it. And I think that's part of the thing that people struggle with is that we get stuck in the ways we've always been sexual. And we don't have much imagination or permission to evolve how we're sexual. And I think that's where I come in, right? If the old ways aren't working, then let's find some new ways that feel good to you. We also are very focused on sex means penis and a vagina. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: And sex can be a multitude of things. We have pleasure zones from the top of our head to the bottom of our feet. And sexuality, sensuality should really be about shared physical pleasure, whole body, where we're not just focused on boobs and crotch. And that's different for most folks, because that's not how we've been socialized for sex, right? And sometimes as a woman, as a very, as a 20 year postmenopausal woman, sometimes I'm not really, I can tell that my body and brain are really not going to, not necessarily in a place that they want to be sexual. But sometimes I can lean into my husband's need, right? And so if we have many things on what I call the sex menu, then we have options. We're not stuck to one way of being sexual. We have many ways that we can be sexual and sensual and connected. And so I I love helping people add different things to their menu so that they don't lose that connection. But yet that connection is not so taxing that it's, it's a turn off.
0: I like that idea of the menu. It almost sounds like, you know, that that's an important step in the journey of healing is like, let's take a look at our menu. We only used to have one item on there. How about we add four different types? Because again, if you think about that couple that was let's have a pre drink, let's have
2: an appetizer, let's have a main dish, you know? And sometimes when you go into a restaurant, you just want to get a couple of appetizers, right? You don't want the full seven course meal. Sometimes I walk in and I just really want dessert, right? So Maybe I skip all the rest of that and I go straight for dessert that night. When we have choices, right, then we can kind of see, do I just want a before dinner drink or do I really not want to drink today? Do I want some cheese sticks? I don't know that I really want some cheese sticks today, right? So the, the menu gives opportunity so that we're looking at what we can do versus what we
1: can't do. These are all amazing ideas. We could talk about this literally probably for hours. Hours. Tracy, you do talk about this on a weekly basis. It's a Facebook group. So we would love for you to share that information before we sign off with you.
2: There's a Facebook group called Sex After Breast Cancer. It's associated with Hope After Breast Cancer. But in the Sex After Breast Cancer group, uh, we do a live on Thursdays. It's not always me. It's different experts in the oncology world who just come in and do a Facebook live inside of there and talk about a multitude of of topics from female specific on Thursdays. We have just started, just kicked off as of yesterday, a couples version of that. So primarily through the, the other Thursdays, it's women in the group focused. And then that fourth Thursday of the month is couples focused. And we need all the help we can get. We need all the support. We need to hear all the stories. I'm licensed in 34 states. So we could always see if you're in a state that I'm licensed in and we could do telehealth if you need support, but just find your safe place for those conversations so that your relationship can stay connected and keep you both leaning in toward each other in that storm.
1: Wonderful. And if anyone wants more information or wants to connect with Tracy, go to IntimatePathways.org. That is Intimate Pathways Center for Sexual Health. Tracy, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. You
2: You guys stay strong. Keep doing what you're doing. I love your mission. Thank you, Tracy.
1: Okay, Leah, that was um,
0: an amazing interview. And yet again, we're
1: learning more information. What do you think about that menu idea?
0: All I can think about is Alex would be absolutely ecstatic if I said, Hey, babe, Here's a menu of options. Why don't you go through and check them off? It's like some of these Mexican restaurants are popping up in our area where you can like customize. They give you this long ass menu. What kind of meat would you like? What kind of toppings? What kind of spice? You know, that's what, what if Alex had that? That'd be amazing. I don't know if I could do that though. or what would
1: not be on the menu? Oh, 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 oh God.
0: <laughs> oh, well, <laughs> <laughs> I was just gonna say I'm not gonna go there, but that's what this podcast is all about. Is I'm not gonna go there. Is <laughs> is about going there.
1: <laughs> you know, it's really funny that um, we talk about sort of like how gross we feel, and and you know, um, it's so challenging because remember, you're not only feeling really ugly and disgusting, and it takes months, even years, and sometimes you never feel the same when it comes to intimacy and things like that. You, know, I was funny because when you were talking earlier about hair and like, you know, losing all that hair and, and us being sort of from the Mediterranean where we have an abundance of this hair. It was really nice going through chemo, not to have the back hair, because that was one thing that Tim, when we, he and I first met was like, you actually have back hair. And I said, yes, I do. And I got it laser removed. So that was one (laughs) fun thing that was awesome during chemo right is just not having to shave and not having to do all of those things that typically when you're not going through something like that you find to be a burden. So it gives you a very different perspective um with you know what are you grateful for and what are you not grateful for and again you feel like crap the husbands or the partners like kind of just don't know what to do creating this beautiful menu of like ideas and things like what's on this buffet tonight If you choose to have all of the courses or only one of the course, I thought that was a great idea. So just sharing this because perspective is is sort of everything when it comes to breast cancer and, and survivorship and going through all this. So perspective and having humor and being thankful for some of the things that you don't have to deal with during chemotherapy might be helpful for some people too, especially when it comes to intimacy.
0: Listen, I can tell you back to that question. One thing that would never be on my menu is anal sex. Mm-mm, I draw the line. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not. No, never was, never Mm-mm. will, never has anything. Yeah. So I don't know about you. What's the, what's one thing that will never be on your menu of offerings?
1: How about anal sex? Like that will <laughs> never be on my menu
0: yeah, of some offering. people love it. That's I what don't I hear. Know. They enjoy. I'm like, oh God, that feeling, of, ooh, like my butt's clenching right now. Like I'm in the poop all the time. I don't know. Oh.
1: That's true. I mean, to me, it just doesn't seem, you know, we were talking about sort of that vaginal dryness and how skin is dry and everything. It just doesn't seem like it would be something comfortable and and exciting for me at all.
0: No. So we both know menu of offering, scratch that off. But for some women, maybe it could be different because, hey, you're flipped around. They're coming from behind. You can't see no eyebrows and no sideburns. You can't even see their face or their mangly breasts. (laughs) So maybe that could be an option for some. Oh, yeah, yeah. Perhaps. On
1: that note. I know. On that note, we are going to wrap it up for today. We want to thank everyone for being here and we will continue these conversations moving forward. But if you have any questions, comments, concerns, or ideas for a show topic, or just want to hear more from me and Leah on different things, email us at bcunleashed at gmail.com. B is in boy, C is in Charlie, unleashed at
0: gmail.com. I didn't know that. That's horrible. Oh, yeah, it's gross. I'll send you a picture. Okay. (laughs) Because I know you want to see it.